Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. Joshua chapter 9, starting at verse 1, and and we're going to read through this chapter. It's not very long. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, these things are the taking of Jericho as well as Ai, those in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse or deception. I don't know anyone who uses the word ruse anymore. I I had to look it up. Okay. They went to a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended, The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you, and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Hishbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Now, they didn't talk about Jericho or Ai, because that would mean they would have to be close. They talked about what happened before that on the other side of Jordan to lend credence to their story and their deception here. Verse 11, And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey and go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and their leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiroth-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. 
They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leaders promised, so the leaders promised to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us? Saying we live a long way from you while actually you live near us. You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all the inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. There are so many possibilities with this story. There are so many questions that I have that come up, and I doubt I will answer all the ones that maybe are in your mind, but I do want to touch on some of them, some of the things that do stand out that I believe are helpful to us. One of the things I love about the scriptures is how they declare what happened and doesn't give us, and this is right, and this is wrong. It just kind of spews the story out and makes us wrestle with it. It's like, well, what about this? Is that okay? Or, you know, why do they have to keep an oath to someone who lied to them? What, what's with that? It doesn't answer those questions. It, it, it implies things that we have to look into and find out for ourselves, much like when Jesus would speak to the multitudes and he would speak to them in parables and stories, and they would say, why do you speak to them in this way? You say, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. In other words, if they really want to find out, they have to pursue it. And the same thing is true for us. And one of the things that we find out is that the Israelites were told previously in the book of Deuteronomy in chapters 7 and in chapters 20 to take over the land, to take the inhabitants of the land. In fact, it's referred to in verse 24 when they answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we were afraid for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. The first question that comes to my mind, and probably a lot of yours, is why would God tell them to wipe everyone out? That's not very Christian-like. That's not very nice. That's not very loving. And I think we need to recognize that God's intent was not just to conquer and to wipe everyone out. God's intent was to establish a place where the truth could take place, where the truth could be told. In Genesis... Chapter 15, verse 16, God is talking to Abram, telling him about 
what will happen when his children come and take the land. Talking about what is happening, what we are reading in Joshua. And he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, which is what's happening. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now that has implications. means for 400 years, we're going to let the Amorites work things out. And then you'll come in because their sin is not yet reached its full measure. We know a little bit about the Amorites from what we've uncovered archaeologically. And some of it's pretty horrific. We know of their worship of the god Moloch and how they would sacrifice their children, throw them into a fire or put them on the arms of Moloch while they were alive, burning and burned to death. They've uncovered the bodies of children buried in jars and suffocated that were part of the foundations of their homes. Atrocities that were taking place. And so when God's telling Abraham the fullness of their time is not there, their iniquity isn't yet full, you, you can imagine what things took place if this is only a glimpse of what we've uncovered. And it's amazing what people can do without conviction. The atrocities that take place, even in our own time. Some of the stories I, were re- I was reading when I was looking into just current atrocities, they're horrific. It's not enough to just murder someone. They have to be tortured and watch their loved ones tortured. I read one article of a a young girl who was in Rwanda and is now in the States and just graduated from college. And she was talking about the difficulty she's having just adjusting to life. She feels guilty. They fled, and the reason they knew they had to get out of that region was because their dogs started bringing human body parts home from a nearby region. And they said, we got to get out of here. And what do you do when the people who are butcherers and are torturing and are blinded with the poison, are 10 years old, 8 years old. What do you do? God said, when the time is full, you're going to go and you're going to wipe out that land. You're going to conquer it. The atrocities are enough. It's time to go and redeem that land. See, sometimes it's actually a benefit to conquer Think of Nazi Germany and the six million Jews. If you go to the Museum of Tolerance and you see some of the things that were done and you just wonder, how could people do this? Make lampshades out of human skin. And the evil that is done. And so we only know a glimpse of these atrocities. But, I mean, in... Cambodia, over a million people died in four years. Think what could happen in 400 years. 
think of how bad things could really get. And so this order to go in and and take over this land might actually have been a benefit to a lot of people, to a lot of people. And, And so we see that they are commanded to do this, but then we also see that there is this deception that they resorted to deception in verse 4 in order to save themselves. And and their reasoning is obvious, you know, and it's another dimension that we're not going to talk in fully is what about these people who didn't want, you know, to die and wanted to change? Well, it seems there's room for them and, and their deception. Well, was it okay? Well, it kind of worked out for them. I don't know that you could say it was okay, but it definitely was something that worked out. But what I want to focus on is the idea of deception. You know, deception never comes to our front door wearing a red suit and carrying a pitchfork, does it? The devil never comes in obvious ways. Scriptures say he transforms himself into an angel of light. And the whole idea about deception is it fools our senses, what we see, what we feel. They saw their provisions. Look at they're worn out. Their shoes are worn out. They, they tasted. I don't know why they did that. Maybe they just wanted to see what moldy bread tasted like. But they wanted to make sure it was actually moldy. And so they, they sampled those things that were there. They just viewed things. But what they saw wasn't really what's there. And and that's what deception is, is what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing is not really the truth. And again, it never comes obvious. It always comes dressed nicely. It's the good-looking guy. It's the nice-looking girl who ends up not being so nice, who ends up being unhealthy for your life. But that's not how it looks. That's not how it feels. But that's what deception is. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Screwtape Letters. And, And it's a great book. And it's a fictional story of Uncle Screwtape, who is a chief demon in the regions of hell, and he's talking to his nephew, Wormwood, about how to capture this one specific man that they are working on. And the whole book is this discourse of what to do to deceive this person and to lead him astray and to hold him down and to keep him in bondage and to keep him from what they call the enemy who is God. And it's a a powerful story. You'll read that and you'll think, huh, I wonder about that. And and one of the things that he said in there that I thought was great is Uncle Uncle Screwtape was writing to Wormwood and he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You just find yourself going there unaware. You're, you're deceived. You think everything's okay because there were no warning signs. There is another one that 
I read in the quotes that I thought was kind of funny. It said, make full use of the fact that up to a certain point, fatigue makes women talk more and men talk less. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Much secret resentment, even between lovers, can be raised from this. Just unaware, a deception that's taking place. Unaware that little things can add up to big things. You know, Genesis tells us that the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals. Corinthians tells us that in order that Satan might not outwit outwit us, we need to be aware of his schemes. And one of the things is dealing with is pride and forgiving others. And, And deception is one of those things that clouds our judgment. We don't see what's really happening. We are deceived. And we make the wrong decisions based on what we see or what we see incorrectly. I wonder how many of us feel that we've been deceived in some way. How many marriages? I think every marriage feels this. You deceived me. To some point, I didn't know you were like that. Husband wakes up for the first time, sees his wife without makeup. (laughs) Who are you? What have you done with my wife? I know, that was mean. So let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you a true story about me, okay? So that I don't get lynched afterwards. When we first got married, every morning that we'd wake up, I was a grouch. You see, I never had to be anything else because I woke up alone. But all of a sudden, I wake up and my wife tells me, man, you're so grouchy in the morning. I was totally unaware of it. And, you know, here she knew this guy who was, you know, nice and funny and charming and wakes up in the morning. Coffee. And she's like, who are you? You know, what have I done? Are are you going to really turn into this? Is this what my life will become? And I think so many of us in the idea of marriage, we start finding out things about each other and we, we have this idea, well, maybe I've been deceived. Maybe I've been tricked. You know, with this deception, it's telling because there's a verse in in verse 19. It says, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. It takes a long time to learn the neglect of prayer. Sometimes it's a hard lesson to learn. We're quick to rush into something instead of waiting on the Lord. And the neglect of prayer is actually pride, thinking we have the ability to make the judgments and make the calls. We don't need to inquire of the Lord. And I love that. It doesn't say they just prayed. It says they didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask, God, is this true? How many relationships don't ask, God, is this girl right for me? Is this guy someone who is going to be a benefit of my life? If not, show me. If not, reveal that to me. I I had a friend who was engaged. 
And for two years, she was planning her wedding. And months before, I think two months before the wedding, she found out that her fiancé was a party animal. He went to church with her. He went to the Bible studies with her, but she found out he was living a double life. And when he wasn't with her, he was out drinking, he was out carousing, he was doing his own thing. And two months away from making a decision to commit her life to him, she found out. She started inquiring of the Lord. She started asking God, God, something doesn't feel right. I'm not sensing this. I, I, I love this guy, and he, he seems like a great guy, but there's something amiss. And she inquired of the Lord, and God revealed the truth to her. But how many of us don't inquire? And then we step in and make an oath. And then we find ourselves like the nation of Israel. Oh, man, we shouldn't have done that. We should have inquired. Now, one of the questions, though, what would have happened if they would have inquired? I don't know. Wrestle with that one. Because I am. We also see in verse 19 that they had to keep their oath, but all the... All the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. So once they made their oath, they stuck to it. Now, this is important, especially as I've been talking about marriage and making a mistake. You have taken an oath. Paul says, who knows? Maybe you, by the conduct of your life, can win your unbelieving partner. You're not free because you were deceived. You don't get to do whatever you want. I, you deceived me. I'm out of here. I thought you'd wake up happy in the morning. I'm done. I thought you knew how to cook. I'm out of here. They don't have that option. And there are certain oaths that we make that we don't have the easy out. Yeah, with Marriage, there are options out. There are ways out of the oath. There is adultery. Jesus talks about that. If the unbelieving partner chooses to leave, you're out. There, there are options out, but it's not like, well, I can get out anytime I want. No, you've made an oath. Children. You have responsibility to children. When you were part of that birthing process, you took the responsibility of raising that child. And you can't, for convenience sake, split. You have a, an oath to fulfill, a responsibility to fulfill. And, and you see, you need to realize the importance of those things when you make that oath. Jesus said, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what we do when our eyes are open to the truth is important. When we realize the, the reality of our situation in these areas of commitment, when your eyes open and you realized what you did when you said, I do, 
or when you fathered or mothered that child. The responsibility to fulfill that is an important one. You, you take an oath and connect to your oath because your oath is to God. And that's what they did. They said, we can't break this because we made this oath to God. And it's real important that we recognize this. And I think equally as important is to recognize what happens next and how things move forward. You see, you might not be able to change what happened, but you can change how you move forward in what happened. And what they did is they said, okay, you're now under a curse. In verse 23, you will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Now, under a curse, we think, or I think, you know, a witch's curse. You know, you're under a spell. You're under some kind of evil thing. But the idea here of a curse is you are held in obligation to. You are indebted to this. You are the servant of this responsibility. And what was the responsibility that they gave them? They were going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the nation and for the house of God. They were going to supply the fuel for the fire that would burn the offerings to the Lord. They were going to supply the water that was going to be used for purifying for the Lord. They were going to be serving God. Okay, and this is what I, I want us to grasp with, with the things that happen in our life, with the, the deception that takes place, with the mistakes we all make, and the places that we find ourselves in. Maybe you're in a marriage and it's not well, it's not going good, and you're struggling in it and you're thinking, I just want out, but I've made this oath so I'm stuck. Well, instead of just taking I'm stuck, I can't do anything, why don't you put it under the obligation of serving the Lord? In other words, why don't you take your oath and put it under another oath, an oath that you have to God and to continuing to serve to God? So no longer are you just in bondage to this situation, but now what you find yourself is, I am locked into the situation, but I am going to take this situation and serve God in this situation. I am going to be a woodcutter. I am going to be a water carrier for the house of the Lord. I am going to honor God right where I'm at in the oath that I have made. And this oath continued. You'll see it in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. In fact, Saul was judged because he broke this oath. God held this as something valid. And what Joshua did was take these people who deceived them and brought them close to the God who could save them. And what we need to do is the same thing in these areas of our lives. We need to redeem them. And we need to buy them back in service to God. So that it's no longer, I'm stuck here in this oath. I am obligated. There's nothing I can do. There is something you can do. You can use this area and serve the Lord. 
Those who had deceived them were humbled and they caused the altar flame to burn and were used to purify the worship for God's people. We can do the same thing. We can redeem those things. I love Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Saturday, the guys met over at John's house, and John shared a powerful story. I just want to give you little bits of it. He, he talked about his estranged relationship with his father, how he did not grow up with his dad, and there was that absence in his life, and how his dad had gone through some struggles in various areas, but now was reconnecting with his father, and he went to a meeting that was in honor of his dad. And at that meeting, there were about 60 people, and person after person stood up and talked about how they had received benefit from his dad. And he thought to himself, I didn't receive those benefits. I never got to enjoy that of my father. But then he realized, but that didn't stop my dad from taking the mistakes and the things that he had done and starting where he was at and doing the right thing and benefiting other people's lives. And so though he had made a mistake, he was still now where he was at, making the right choices, doing the right things, and having a positive influence in the people's lives around him. God takes our mistakes, the areas where we've been deceived, the areas where we have fallen, and if we will bring them under the servitude of God, they can be an offering to the Lord. He can take our mourning and turn it into dancing. Take those clothes that represent grief and put on robes of joy. How do you do that? You bring it to the altar. You, you supply the fuel for the fire. You purify yourself with the water. Jesus has done that. How do you redeem that relationship? You submit it to the hand of Jesus to the work of Christ in your life and in that marriage, in that relationship. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's your father, your mother. Maybe it is a husband or a wife, child. What you do is you offer that to the Lord. Because this oath that we've made, this place where we find ourselves, it's still under a bigger covenant, the one that we've made with the Lord. And that's the one that matters. That's the one that influences all the others. I want to help us remember that covenant that we've made with God. And so this morning we're going to partake of communion. And this is how we're going to do it. We have the bread and the juice up here on both sides.
You're free to come up when you want and if you want. You take the bread and you dip it in the bowl and you can partake of it right there. You can go back to your seat. No double dipping. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be mindful of the covenant that is above every covenant. The oath that we have with God that is above every oath is above every relationship and that is able to bring something good from the relationship. I want us to go to the altar of God where Jesus gave his life for us to buy us back and to redeem us and all that entails with who we are. I want you to recognize and me to recognize that this is where our mourning is turned to dancing. This is where we get robed with joy. And we need to remember that. And so Danny's going to come on up and, and he's going to lead us in a few songs. As you feel led, we're going to do probably two songs. And in that time, just come up as you want to and be mindful of this. If you want as a husband and wife or a family to come up and partake together, you can and maybe go back and pray. But I so want you to understand that wherever you are at, there is a covenant that you can go to that will redeem everything else that is going on in your life. But it starts there in surrendering those things to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for eyes to see how we can take every area of our life and submit it in worship to you. How we can take those relationships that we struggle with. Maybe it's the jobs that we have. And bring those to you. And allow you to work in our lives in those areas of difficulty to change them, to make them from a deception to a devotion. That you would turn our mourning into dancing. That you would clothe us with your joy. And that we would rejoice in what our God has done. Lord, I pray that you would set us free. And Lord, you've done what is necessary to set us free already at the cross. What we need to do is embrace it. What we need to do is make it active in our lives, especially in these areas that are weighing us down. I pray you would help us to do so. Lord, you said that you gave your body broken for us, that the wine, the, the fruit of the vine represented your blood, the, the new covenant poured out for us 
and that as often as we would do this, we would remember you. And remembering you involves all that this entails for our lives. Lord, may we search our hearts and allow this the place and priority in our lives that it deserves, the place that you deserve, the place we need you to be to change every area of our life. Lord, we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship, and again, as you feel led to come up, come up. There's no hurry. We're going to sing a few songs, and I pray that we would make this time meaningful in this area of our life. You know, Sundays, what we try to do is give you a little water that will refresh you, wash your feet, wash your hands, bring a reminder to your heart that the Lord is with you. But it, it, it's just a little water. There is an ocean waiting for you. We can only help a little, and we love doing it, but there is so much more for you to be had than what we can offer here. And that takes place between you and God. And I I hope we quench your thirst just a little bit, but not enough where you don't want to go and, and get more. We want to be just an appetizer, but there's a main course still waiting to be had. And so we encourage you, seek the Lord. Inquire of him. Open the scriptures and read. Allow the Lord to speak to you and quench that deep thirst. Let's pray. Father, Work in our hearts, work in our lives, continue to reveal yourself. Lord, may your spirit pour on us, overflowing. Fill us, Lord, that we would be witnesses for you. Be able to present who you are with boldness, with confidence, with the assurance because you are our God. We've inquired and you have spoken. We have sought and we have found. Refresh our souls with your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.